I'm your moderator, Chris Paul. Let's be reasonable. Out here on the range, we shy away from the idea that the people who create the problems are the ones we should trust to fix them. It's high noon for Monday, November 1st, 2021. Follow the podcast on the Telegram Messenger app at t.me slash I'm your moderator or join the discussion thread at t.me slash I'm reasonable. You can also find me on Gab and Getter at I'm your moderator. The Substack is I'm your moderator.substack.com and the merch site is cancelcouture.com or go direct shop.spreadshirt.com slash cancel dash couture. Today is the 285th day of Barack Obama's third term as served by the half-dead, demented, degenerate, ventriloquist dummy, fake proxy president Joe Biden, who is overwhelmingly compromised by the Chinese Communist Party, the patriarch of one of the most corrupt families in American history, and the father of one of the most despicable sons to ever walk the earth. That's Hunter Biden. So congratulations, commies. You rounded up all the best and the brightest from every corrupt institution in the country. And you said, hey, this is too complicated for me to handle. You guys should do it because you're the best at everything. And so you gave all your power away to them. And what happened? Well, you created the catalyst for societal collapse. And if you've realized that and you start thinking, my God, what have I done? Well, there's a solution available for you. You see, all you have to do is stop making decisions for other people for a very, very, very long time. Okay. Maybe for the rest of your life. And that's going to require you abandoning the idea that you should have power. And I know. It hurts. You're the one who's supposed to have the power, right? You studied gender studies in college. Now you're as smart as the smartest person on earth in describing the 57 genders, 55 of which do not exist. But you're very, very smart nonetheless. And if you're thinking, hey, maybe that's not such a good way to judge who's smart and who's not. Well, you're right. And so what I need you to do is abandon all of those stupid and evil child-brained communist ideas and migrate back to America, where we will accept you with open arms, assuming that before that point, you go ahead and make amends with all of the people that you have shamed and bullied and censored and tried to get fired from their jobs. You got to do that part. But after that, you come on down to the range and we say, hello, fellow American. Welcome on to the range. This is America. And the project you are now involved in is the preservation of human liberty and self-governance. 
We are more than happy to see you. Okay? That's all you got to do. You need to make yourself a redeemable communist. Okay? And that's how you do it. And with that, I would love to extend a warm Monday high noon welcome to all of the redeemable communists out there. Hello, commies. You see, it's my birthday today, so I have to give you an extra special hello, redeemable communists. Because while for you, this is merely Monday, for me, it is a new year of my life. And in this year of my life, I intend to see the fall of American communism. And I intend to try to bring the fall of American communism on as fast as possible. And to do that, I need your help and you need my help. See, we do the whole thing as a team, right? I can't make it happen myself. Wish I could, would have done it a year ago, but I can't. So I need you guys to help me do that. And the way we do that is by communicating truth at every single opportunity and never silencing ourselves before some of the greatest, most evil lies that are told in front of us. Like, for instance, your child is in danger of dying from the coronavirus. Therefore, inject your child with a substance that has a much higher chance of killing your child. You can't let stories like that pass in front of you unanswered. Okay? Got to do it. You got to stand up for truth all the time. And the other thing you have to do is refuse to comply at all ever with these people. Non-compliance only. Okay. That's how we get there. The faster people wake up, the faster all of this ends. All right. We need enough people to stand up for themselves and risk their position within the party of false decorum. You have to stand up. If people around you judge you for your positions, you do not need those people in your life. And truthfully, they are a danger to you. Am I going overboard? No. Play it out for three more months, six more months, a year. If these people are allowed to maintain even the illusion of their grasp on power, There is only one way this goes, and all those people who you're afraid of losing will eventually be the very people who turn you in to the Gestapo. And again, is that an extreme position? Perhaps. Is it true? That's the real question. And it turns out, yeah, it's true. And if you want to test it, just simply begin speaking the truth in front of these communists and see how they react. And when they get angry and try to bully you and shame you and censor you and get you fired from your job, you might eventually realize that right now, at this point in their lives, that's who they are. And if the pressure gets turned up on them, they will 100% betray you When the chips are down. Now, I'm not trying to be divisive. I'm trying to make sure that you speak truth anyway. All right. And if they go away, you are better off. The truth matters more than that person's opinion of you. And if you think that person's opinion of you matters more than the truth, 
then you will ultimately be failed by that person. And the truth is you're being failed by yourself. So last night on 60 Minutes, CNN's Anderson Cooper interviewed the professor and historian Yuval Noah Harari. He wrote the book Sapiens. He wrote Homo Deus. He wrote 21 Lessons for the 21st Century and some other stuff. And the richest people on earth, the global communists, all think that this is like the smartest guy ever. Okay. They love him. They absolutely love him. And now he is making the rounds, warning humanity that we are biological machines that can be hacked and inevitably will be as the proliferation of AI grows and expands and merges with human consciousness. So I'm going to play some clips from the interview last night. I want you to listen to this with the fake Facebook whistleblower, Francis Hogan in mind. Okay. Think about what that situation was. And in short, I would say this about that situation. If you haven't heard me talk about it before, what we had was a woman who worked for a time at Facebook, who was bringing out these very damning documents. And the release was completely coordinated by the mainstream media rather than going to actual reporters who work with whistleblowers. She went directly to the communist corporate media who works hand in hand with Facebook. So that's like the first clue that what she was doing doesn't matter at all. And she was lauded by Democrats and Republicans alike. Everybody pretended that her stories about what Facebook was doing were horrifying. And ultimately, what she was pushing for was not a breakup of the social media companies, and it was not doing away with Section 230. It was that governments should coordinate a response to this that includes regulation enabling them to censor more speech. So she's pretending that she's saving us all by telling us about something we already knew. And the solution is to get our elected wink, wink representatives to fix it for us. Okay. You've all Noah Harari is presenting a picture that has the same structure as what Francis Hogan did. And naturally, he's being interviewed by the same outlet. Francis Hogan came out on 60 Minutes. You've all know a Harari is being interviewed by CNN's Anderson Cooper on 60 Minutes. Did Anderson Cooper suddenly become a compassionate, caring person who is interested in the good of the population at large? No, of course not. He is still a Vanderbilt child who is a functionary of elitism, corporatism, and global communism. Anderson Cooper did not change personalities between when he's on CNN and when he's interviewing Yuval Noah Harari. Harari believes we may be on the brink of creating not just a new enhanced species of human, but an entirely new kind of being, one that's far more intelligent than we are. 
It sounds like science fiction, but Yuval Noah Harari says it's actually much more dangerous than that. You said we are one of the last generations of Homo sapiens. Within a century or two, Earth will be dominated by entities that are more different from us than we are different from chimpanzees. Yeah. What the hell does that mean? That freaked me out. You know, we'll soon have the power to re-engineer our bodies and brains, whether it is with genetic engineering or by directly connecting brains to computers or by creating completely non-organic entities, artificial intelligence, which is not based at all on the organic body and the organic brain. And these technologies are developing at breakneck speed. Now, I have no doubt that what he's saying accurately describes the knowledge in that field. All right. The technology is being developed. It is being developed at breakneck speed. But he's telling us that this is a foregone conclusion in 100 years or 200 years. This just will exist and it will be dominant. And so we have to figure out how to live and survive and thrive in that environment. Now, as smart as Yuval Noah Harari may be, and as smart as the people may be who are doing this work, there is nothing about their level of intelligence that says they will be successful in this project and that the future he's concerned about will truly exist. All right. That is not a foregone conclusion. And we see the results of what the people he's talking about actually do, okay? We're talking about the Zuckerbergs, the Gates, the uh, Klaus Schwabs of the world. These people who imagine themselves the gods of science and progress and advancement. They can steer everything in the direction they choose. And because they're the smartest, because they're the richest and most powerful, they will inevitably get there. That's not a foregone conclusion. As we have seen, and as I constantly remind you to notice, these people are primarily incompetent and narcissistic, all right? They are able to achieve the successes they've achieved with help from our governments and from corporations and from the world's wealthiest people. And the help comes in many forms. The help comes in financial investment in their projects. The help comes in never punishing them for the things they do. Like Bill Gates, for instance, visited Jeffrey Epstein after he'd already been convicted of sex crimes with underage girls. Is that something Bill Gates should be doing and should be getting away with? Of course not. But no one is actually accusing Bill Gates of anything, right? These people are all also of the belief that they would be able to so terrify the country and the world with coronavirus that they could get near 100% acceptance of their experimental gene therapy, that people would just be signing up because they were so scared. They can just tell us this story in the media, using the media, using censorship from big tech, using the collusion with the academic space in the corporate world. And we would all be convinced to go along with their plan and just sit idly by while they take over the world and initiate the Great Reset. Well, turns out that's not working out as well for them as they expected it to. I'm not saying they're making no advances. 
But the world has woken up to this. If that is true, then it creates a whole other species. This is something which is way beyond just another species. Yuval Noah Harari is talking about the race to develop artificial intelligence, as well as other technologies like gene editing that could one day enable parents to create smarter or more attractive children, and brain-computer interfaces that could result in human-machine hybrids. What does that do to a society? I mean, it seems like the rich will have access, whereas others wouldn't. One of the dangers is that we will see in the coming decades a process of, of, of uh, um, greater inequality than in any previous time in history, because for the first time it will be real biological inequality. If the new technologies are available only to the rich or only to people from a certain country, then uh, Homo sapiens will split into different biological castes because they really have different bodies and, and different abilities. All right, so biological determinism, biological split between castes of humans. Okay, he says castes because of his accent, but he's talking about caste, like social class. The rich will have the access to these technologies because they can afford them. They will make use of them and they will create their lineage as a lineage of superhumans who are in every way able to dominate regular humans because they are so much smarter and so much more physically capable. All right. Gene editing will eliminate any chance of hereditary disease being passed down. This is like Gattaca, if you've seen that movie. And again, this is part of the foregone conclusion. This is the only way this thing could go. And so Anderson Cooper is hinting about, well, shouldn't everyone have access? Which is just commie speak for what we're doing isn't actually mean, okay? We really want everybody to have it. But that's just not realistic. So it's only going to be certain people with it. It's not what we want, though. What we want is for everybody to be equal, but that just simply isn't possible anymore. We're sorry that we took those five or six decades there where we tried to convince you all that we really cared about that. Turns out it was all for nothing. You guys are all equal. Don't don't get us wrong. You guys are all equal. But I mean, you're not equal to us. His writings have been recommended by President Barack Obama, as well as tech moguls, Bill Gates and Mark Zuckerberg. You raise warnings about technology. Mm -hmm. You're also embraced by a lot of folks in Silicon Valley. Yeah. Isn't that sort of a contradiction? They are a bit afraid of their own power. That they have realized the immense influence they have over the world, over the course of evolution, really. And I think that spooks at least some of them. That's a good thing. Um, and this is why they are kind of, to some extent, open to listening. And there you have it. There's nothing to worry about. The world's richest, most powerful, most evil communists are open to listening to the concerns of the lesser people. That's so sweet of them. And, and it's so good that we have a world-renowned genius like Yuval Noah Harari to tell us that 
they've got it covered. Thank goodness he is bringing up all of the problems that could arise from this technology so that we can know what the potential downfalls are, but also reminding us that these people are are spooked by their own power. And so they're willing to listen, just like they were willing to listen to dissent surrounding the coronavirus narrative, for instance, and the election fraud, for instance, and the experimental gene therapy, for instance. They have taken in everyone's concerns. They are aware that the concerns exist, but don't worry. They're the smartest experts in the entire world, and they have decided that the concerns just simply aren't valid enough. They're valid. They're valid. We understand that people have concerns, but we don't care. And so how will the public react to something like this? Well, all of us are probably reacting in some variation of the way that I'm reacting, saying this is quite obviously bullshit and a cover for what they intend to do. But for all the child-brained communists out there, they will watch Yuval Noah Harari speak. They probably won't bother reading his books, but they might. They will imagine that only them and people like them can truly understand what this is. We can't, right? We're the dummies. We're the ones who are so dumb that we would not want children injected with an experimental gene therapy that we know already could maim and injure and kill them. That's how dumb we are. We're so dumb that we don't believe masks work, despite Anthony Fauci and Leanna Wen saying a thousand times that they do work. We're dumb. You got to remember that we are very, very dumb. So the communists are going to think that other communists have all of this under control. After all, Mark Zuckerberg gave them Instagram and Instagram makes their lives immeasurably better. All this technology that's coming out, man, that's going to save the future of humanity. And so we have to trust these people because even if they do some bad things that are totally destroying humanity and society, and pretty much everyone can see that, including these very people, they understand that these people are so important that we just got to let them do it. And because they're now aware of the warning signs and what could potentially happen, they will think, okay, well, we know that we're going to have to act on that eventually. We'll cross that bridge when we come to it. Maybe it's going to be way too late, but no big deal because we have the smartest people in the world making sure that everything's okay. They're actually spooked by their own power. So you know that they want to solve the problem. And a certain brand of person is going to walk away from watching or hearing this interview with the illusion of future safety. And to guarantee that future safety, we need to empower a certain kind of leader through our elections. We need to select only leaders with the right beliefs who we know will act ethically on our behalf because they tell us that they will act ethically on our behalf. And they'll show us commercials that will make us believe that they are, in fact, acting ethically. 
Like what we really need is a huge army of Barack Obama's and Bill Gates's and Mark Zuckerberg's. And if we get enough of those really genius, ethical people together, they'll solve the problem and we don't have to worry about it because there is nothing that these people like better than the thought that everything is going to be just fine because they're in charge. And what he's hinting at is exactly the same thing that we have seen from Francis Hogan and from the reaction to Francis Hogan. We have this big problem, potentially, potentially. Yeah, they've messed up a few things. A few teenage girls have committed suicide here and there. People have turned into anorexics. The depression numbers are skyrocketing. And don't even worry, those are the biggest problems. We don't really have to think about the fact that they actually have all our data and can affect our mood throughout the day they track every single thing they that we do and every purchase we make and every word we say but the way to really rein them in is to empower the governments that do their bidding to censor us more that's the conclusion we're meant to draw from the fake facebook whistleblower and this is a parallel we're meant to draw the conclusion that we must empower the government to regulate the most powerful people in the world, even while that government is the same group of people. And believing that requires an idealism that is totally ignorant to the reality we all see in front of us. These institutions and these politicians and these very same global communists have put us in the position we're in right now regarding the coronavirus, regarding election fraud, regarding every other instance of corruption that flows from the global communist agenda. And that is where it flows from. All we need to do is keep giving these people more power. But you can trust them because their power spooks them so they will handle it responsibly. Consciousness is the ability to feel things like pain and pleasure and love and hate. Intelligence is the ability to solve problems. Mm -hmm. But computers or artificial intelligence, they don't have consciousness. They just have intelligence. They solve problems in a completely different way than us. Now, in science fiction, it's often assumed that as computers will become more and more intelligent, they will inevitably also gain consciousness. But actually, it's, it's much more frightening than that in a way. They will be able to solve more and more problems better than us without having any consciousness, any feelings. And they will have power over us? They are already gaining power over us. Some lenders routinely use complex artificial intelligence algorithms to determine who qualifies for loans. Global financial markets are moved by decisions made by machines analyzing huge amounts of data in ways even their programmers don't always understand. Harari says the countries and companies that control the most data will in the future be the ones that control the world. Today, the world data is worth much more than money. Ten years ago, you had these big corporations paying billions and billions for WhatsApp, for Instagram, and people wondered, are they crazy? Why do they pay billions to get this application that doesn't produce any money? And the reason why? Because it produced data. 
And data is the key. The world is increasingly kind of cut up into spheres of, 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 of data collection, of data harvesting. Uh, in the Cold War, you had the Iron Curtain. Now you have the Silicon Curtain between the USA and China. And where does the data go? California, or does it go to Shenzhen and to Shanghai and to Beijing? Harari is concerned the pandemic has opened the door for more intrusive kinds of data collection, including biometric data. What is biometric data? It's data about what's happening inside my body. What we have seen so far, it's corporations and governments collecting data about where we go, who we meet, what movies we watch. The next phase is the surveillance going under our skin. I'm wearing a, a like a tracker that mm. tracks my heart rate, my sleep. I don't know where that information is going. Where the KGB agent on your wrist willingly. And I think it's benefiting me. And it, it is benefiting. I mean, the whole thing is that it's not just dystopian. It's also utopian. I mean, this kind of data can also enable us to, to create the best healthcare system in history. The question is, what else is being done with that data? And who supervises it? Who regulates it? Yeah. It's not only dystopian that these companies can make decisions about how your life will go based on unthinking and uncaring algorithms and that they can track everything you do, including from under your skin. Yes, Anderson Cooper showed off his biometric watch, kind of just glanced over the part about it being under your skin and then mentioned how it's really helping him in some way. It's utopian too. Now, is there a utopia for humanity? I would say, no, there's not. Utopian thinking is how we get to where we are right now. All of these smart people who think that they are tech gods and can figure out how to make the world work perfectly, if only the world would put their ideas into practice on a global scale. That's how we would get to utopia. And as every socialist and communist and fascist and Nazi like these people would tell you. The problem, the reason we haven't gotten there yet is because not enough of the world is willing to give them the power to fix everything. If we gave them all the power, they would gladly fix everything for us. And if we keep refusing to give them all that power through the goodness of their hearts for charity, for the future of the human race, they're just going to have to take all that power for themselves without our permission. And yeah, that sounds horrifying, but don't worry. The people who they install in our governments to govern us, well, those people are going to properly regulate it just like they do with other things, you know, and then once they're properly regulated, the rules will be set out in a way that they are happy to comply with for a little while. And then they'll begin stretching the boundaries of those rules. They'll say, well, hey, you know, we didn't really mean to cross the line here. It was just kind of an inevitability. 
We were just headed down this road and you guys said we should stop. But the thing is, there's no way that we can stop. So we we went through. And if you guys want to punish us, I guess we'll understand. But you're going to have to punish us within a set of parameters that we can work with. Okay, and it would really be better if we allowed you to just change the regulations and then we'll follow those regulations for a little while and then we'll cross over them again. But all of this is necessary because you see, the thing is, we're actually doing this for you. We're trying to create this utopia. We're trying to create the utopia where we have a perfect healthcare system. Our system will give the maximum benefit to the most people that it possibly can within the parameters of our system. And if it turns out that we can't deliver this perfect healthcare to you efficiently, then we're just not going to be able to. And there's not going to be another system for you, but what you need to die being comfortable with knowing is that your sacrifice will not be in vain. It's for the sake of this utopia that the state in conjunction with the most powerful people and corporations in the world will do its best to create. I mean, if you can't trust us to create a utopia for you, who can you trust to create utopia? Wait, what are you saying? You don't want utopia? Oh, so that's pretty selfish. You're just going to say you don't want utopia. So now no one can live in utopia. Everybody else's utopia has to be ruined because you don't want it. Oh, okay. Well, that's really selfish. How many grandmothers did you kill by not wearing a mask? I mean, this kind of data can also enable us to, to create the best healthcare system in history. The question is, what else is being done with that data and who supervises it? Who regulates it? Earlier this year, the Israeli government gave its citizens health data to Pfizer to get priority access to their vaccine. The data did not include individual citizens' identities. So what does Pfizer want the data of all Israelis for? Because to develop new medicines, new treatments, you need the medical data. Increasingly, that's the basis for how uh, for medical research. And also, it's not all bad. Now, I realize I replayed part of that clip because I wanted you to hear exactly what comes next, right? He says, who supervises it? Who regulates it? And then it cuts into Anderson Cooper over B-roll of Israel, an overhead shot of Israel. And it immediately says the Israeli government gave all their citizens private health data to Pfizer. Now, historically speaking, if there was a company performing medical experiments on populations of people, and we were asked, hey, which populations of people would you expect a massive corporation in conjunction with global communists and world governments to experiment on? Looking at history, you might think, uh, well, yeah, they've done that on uh, black people and Jews. And what has played out for this last 18 months? Well, Israel's government has just given all of their health data over to Pfizer. 
so that Pfizer can know exactly how to manipulate their vaccine for Israelis. And in America, we had an equity rollout program for the vaccines so that the first people that could test the medical experiment would be the elderly and ethnic minority communities. Man, is that dystopia or utopia? I can't tell. Criticized for pointing out problems without offering solutions, but he does have some ideas about how to limit the misuse of data. One key rule is that if you get my data, the data should be used to help me and not to manipulate me. Another key rule that whenever you increase surveillance of individuals, you should simultaneously increase surveillance of the corporation and governments and the people at the top. And the third principle is that never allow all the data to be concentrated in one place. That's the recipe for a dictatorship. He's criticized for presenting problems without solutions. Now, who is criticizing him for not having solutions to these problems? Is it the people of the world? Well, no, because no normal person would ever think, why doesn't Yuval Noah Harari have solutions to these problems if he's going to go telling us about these problems? That is something that child brains do. They don't want to hear anything that disrupts them unless you can also immediately fix it for them. Okay, that's child brain. And that's the basis for them excusing all of the world's problems. Well, okay, I get what you're saying. That does sound bad. But can you prove that it's already happening? Can you send me enough links so that I can send you back other links and then still believe what I believed in the first place because I didn't read anything you sent? I'm going to need you to send me as many links as you can. And then what I'm going to need to do is so that I don't get mad at you for telling me that there's this problem, which I don't really believe anyway. You're going to need to also tell me how you can solve it, how people who think like you can solve it. And if you can't do that, well, then I guess you don't have a point. Well, hey, that's not how it works. What a strange paradigm our culture has adopted where we think it's only valid for someone to express negative feelings about something that's going on around them if they also have a solution for fixing it. And let's focus on what his solutions are, right? To make this problem go away, we need to make sure that whenever we give up our data, our data is being used to help us. Now, that is as child-brained as you could possibly ever imagine a solution being. All right. First of all, what does help us mean? The people he's talking about think that it helps us to force us to become part of a medical experiment or else lose our jobs. Helping us is a very relative term that is just left up to interpretation. And who's going to interpret it? Well, of course, our cultural betters, which are the very same people causing the problem. So 
interesting that it could be that once again. And of course, if they're going to be surveilling us, we should also be allowed to somehow surveil them. But of course, we can't do that. So what he's talking about really is a an illusion of transparency, right? Jen Psaki will tell you, for instance, that the Biden administration is the most transparent administration of all time. And all you have to do to understand how she got there is change the definition of what transparent is and then just accept whatever they give you and tell everybody else that that constitutes transparency. And then finally, we don't want all that data to be concentrated in one place, because if it's all concentrated in one place, then the world governments would be able to collude with all of these corporations and manipulate us and treat us however they choose. And that is a dystopia. Hopefully that never happens. Oh, wait, that's what already happens right now. Is that what would happen, for instance, if a country like Israel took the health data from its entire population and then gave it over to a corporation that is actually exerting power over world governments to make them fall in line with the vaccination program, including all of the boosters lying about vaccine injuries, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Is that the sort of thing that could happen if we put all the data in one place? Yeah, kind of is. Oh, and wait, about health data, when you get a COVID test, do they ask you your age and your sex and your race? They do, huh? And then they stick that thing inside your nose all the way up to your brain almost. And then they pull it out and your DNA's on it. And then they send it out somewhere, right? Hopefully it doesn't all go to the same place. Oh, so it gets tested in a lab and then the lab reports it to the county health department and the county health department reports to the state and the state reports to the CDC. Is that how that works? Oh, weird. I hope the CDC doesn't do anything bad with it. Oh, they do. Oh, so they have our age and our ethnic information and our sex information and they have our DNA. Huh? I wonder what they do with that. What do they do with that? Oh, well, some governments just turn it over to the corporation, but ours doesn't. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Ours, ours doesn't. <laughs> we're not, we're not dystopian. We're, we're just working on a utopia here. We're working on a utopia where we can crush this virus. Oh, we're going to crush it with the, uh, the vaccine. Yeah. We're just going to, uh, we're just going to get herd immunity. It's going to be like 60%. Once we get like 60% of the population vaccinated or infected with the disease, then we'll have herd immunity. Oh, it's 70%. Oh, it's 85%. Oh, it's 95%. Oh, we never get herd immunity because the, uh, the vaccine doesn't prevent transmission or infection. Uh, oh, oh, but at least it still prevents, uh, severe illness and death. Oh, it doesn't, oh, it doesn't do that. Uh, oh, oh, so, oh, we, we still have to, uh, we still have to do the tests, still have to do the masks. Oh, oh, uh, so, uh, yeah, what does the vaccine do? Huh? Oh, I need a booster now. Okay. All right. Well, here's my, uh, here's my DNA. <laughs> Sweet utopia, guys. I uh, can't wait till that metaverse comes around and I, uh, I don't have to get out of my, uh, my coffin shaped pod where you just track my health status all the time.
and uh you know feed me nutrients and uh entertainment yeah i'm in my home space now netflix tells us what to watch and amazon tells us what to buy eventually within 10 or 20 or 30 years such algorithms could also tell you what to study at college and where to work and whom to marry and even whom to vote for without greater regulation harari believes we're at risk of becoming what he calls hacked humans what does that mean to hack a human being is to get to know that person better than they know themselves and based on that to increasingly manipulate you this outside system it has the potential to remember everything everything you ever did and uh to analyze and find patterns in this data and to get a much better idea of who you really are i came out as gay when i was 21 it should have been obvious to me when I was 15 that I'm gay. But something in the mind blocked it. Now, if you think about a, a teenager today, Facebook can know that they are gay or Amazon can know that they are gay long before they do, just based on analyzing patterns. And based on that, you can tell uh, somebody's sexual orientation. Completely. And what does it mean if you live in Iran or if you live in Russia? or in some other homophobic country, and the police knows that you're gay even before you know it. Man, I hope this outside system is never able to tell all those things. Oh, wait, they already can. Facebook can already do that. Amazon can already do that. Netflix can already do that. It's amazing that he didn't mention Facebook because Facebook is able to do that. I've said on this podcast before, I knew a data guy in Los Angeles who did marketing campaigns for movies, and occasionally they would try to get data on a whole range of different topics that they thought would potentially influence their marketing campaigns. One of the things he told me is that they could tell within a 90 or maybe it was 95% degree of certainty who would get divorced within a year. And they were able to do this by detecting changes in people's habits where the places that they would travel throughout the day, the time that they would leave work, maybe all of a sudden they visit some new address every afternoon, like every Tuesday afternoon around the same time, right? And their routine is switched up in a way that they can detect their life has had certain changes. And if they have enough other information about that person, or they're able to potentially cross-reference it with other data, then they can tell with a high degree of certainty that you are on the path to divorce and you don't know this stuff absolutely already exists and is a major reason why I'm not on Facebook or Instagram and why I don't update my iPhone and why all of the Google apps are off my phone. I have none of these apps on my phone now. Is it possible that they're still tracking me in multiple ways? Yes, of course it is. And I'm not ignorant enough to think that they don't have ways around this stuff, but I feel like I'm doing better than the people who are just constantly giving their data away to these platforms all the time. I mean, the more you film yourself with your phone staring into the eye of that little selfie camera, like if you're on TikTok, you know that China is accessing all that data. And what you're doing with your face there all day 
is just giving them a flood of biometric data constantly. I don't know if you guys have had the experience yet of having to uh, submit biometric data when trying to do something online. Like there are certain uh, financial trading platforms, for instance, employment platforms. Uh, I remember years ago, I joined the uh, the TSA Global Entry Program because it speeds you through uh, like check-in at the airport and customs when you return to the country. And that seemed worth it to me because I was flying a fair amount. And, you know, for 110 bucks, I think it was, you could save yourself a lot of time and energy and stress. And you put your, you know, fingerprints down. I'm not saying it was full biometrics back then. I imagine it might be now. But when you enter your biometric information on one of these platforms, they have you do the same thing. You hold your phone in front of your face and it watches your eye movement, the shape of your face. And it tracks that. And in China, we know what they have. They have cameras in the cities that can tell who all the people are. How do they figure that out? Well, all the people have given them their biometric data. That's how. And I'm not saying this is all from TikTok, of course. I'm just saying that we are giving this data away all the time. We are way past the point that Yuval Noah Harari is describing as a point that we will reach in the future. We are already way past that. And it's funny that he is totally aware of that. And you can tell because he mentioned Netflix and Amazon controlling what you see and what you buy. The idea that Facebook and Instagram aren't controlling your mood and what you think and who you vote for is just profoundly ignorant. That's exactly what they're doing. And they're basically telling you that that's exactly what they're doing. When people think about data, they think about companies finding out what their likes and dislikes are. But the data that you're talking about, it goes much deeper than that. Like think in 20 years, when the entire personal history of every journalist, every judge, every politician, every military officer is held by somebody in Beijing or in Washington. Your ability to manipulate them is like nothing before in history. Again, what he's talking about is something that already exists in a different form. All right. There is already a market for blackmail. Most of the world is run through corruption and compromise. And the fact that they will have all of your data for all time that you have ever given them is going to make that corruption and compromise much easier. So long as we still exist in a society that creates shame about so many of the things that we do. And I'm not saying that none of that shame is justified. People do a lot of shameful, disgraceful things, and I'm sure I've done a few in my life, but this is an advantage of living in an open and honest and truthful way. Okay. Don't give them unnecessary data, but also you have to be self-regulating. There's a certain nihilism that exists now as a cohesive morality has vanished from our culture that we think that we can do all of these things and there will never be a recourse or that somehow the immediate trade-off is worth it. We're never going to be running for political office, for instance. So we're not going to have to worry about this stuff. Well, 
If that's as far as you take that thought, that's pretty child brained. All right. Let's say 15 years from now, you are in a custody battle. And if you're a woman, maybe in the court case, they present your extensive history on OnlyFans, right? That could make you seem like a bad mom. Maybe you're a guy who used to send dick pics to some girls you were flirting with online. That could be a problem. Imagine that the communists win. And in the future, at job interviews, they're going to have all the data about your political opinions. And you might have spoken up and told the truth about election fraud. And if the communists are still in control years down the line, I mean, we don't even have to imagine it down the line. They do this now. Good luck getting a job. And this is where the dystopia becomes so obvious. Okay. All of this is just a prelude to a social credit score like we see in China and like was presented in that Black Mirror episode a few years back. The episode was called Nosedive, and it was all about how this social credit score could dictate everything in your life. And so everyone around you was basically scoring all of your interactions with them all day long, everywhere you went. You had to be constantly on your best behavior and you had to constantly create a life that would get those likes. And this mirrors, honestly, exactly what people already do on Instagram. Okay. Especially influencers. Influencers on Instagram exist to present a facade of what their life would be like. It's not a real representation of what their life is like at all, except it probably is an accurate reflection of their self-obsession, but they are constantly trying to do and say and present things that the most possible strangers will like so that they can get the attention of more strangers and hopefully monetize that attention by selling those strangers products, including political beliefs. And you could see that at play in the 2020 election cycle and with the COVID and vaccine stuff, by the way, there are actual programs meant to exploit that attention to create a broad base of support for political ideas and political candidates. This was, you can look up uh, defeat disinfo and Stanley McChrystal, general Stanley, Stanley McChrystal, and also look up uh, main street one. And then anytime, take a look at any prominent celebrity on Instagram or any Instagram influencer. And what you will see is a pretty homogenous feed. They will all resemble one another because they're all supposed to be saying the same things. And of course, the social media platforms actually boost this content so that more people see it. And I'm not making this up, by the way. I used to work in a celebrity social media management company and the platforms send emails and tell you what kind of content you should have your clients post if they want to find the most success on those platforms. And when that stuff is 
honored in this strange way that America in the last few years has honored it, right? When we keep making all these stupid people famous, when we keep giving them all this extra credit for their ideas that, by the way, they did not come up with, we make them spokespeople for these causes. Katy Perry dressed up as a syringe for Halloween. And in her Instagram post, her location said, stand with Fauci. Okay. Fauci was just outed again for funding research that tortures beagle puppies. And we have some idiot pop star knowing that she still has enough incentive to make that post worth it. Now, Katy Perry will be remembered as a supporter of Nazism and there is no question about that. I don't know what these celebrities are still thinking. Maybe they're just too far in and they're already like, well, I'm going to hell. Maybe this is my only way out. I hope they don't think that. I mean, the truth is that if these people actually use their platforms to create some sort of social good and they woke up from their communist slumber, people would eventually forgive them. They don't have to keep doubling down on this shit, but they do it anyway. And so once you incentivize that behavior enough, then everybody thinks, well, all the incentives are derived from this behavior. I guess I'll do it too. And that is like a dream state for these communists. They don't even have to give you the incentive. You have the illusion that the incentive exists if you just do the right things. And so you do. The real part is the disincentive to go against them. And we can see that very present in our culture right now. Life is harder if you don't comply. It just is. My refusal to comply has cost me most of the life I once knew. And I'm not saying I would ever take it back. I would not. I don't value that life anymore. And I'm sad that I ever did. But the disincentive is real, and this is a direct path toward that future. China is already farther down that path. And Yuval Noah Harari certainly knows it. When I think of coders and engineers, I don't think of philosophers and poets. It's not the case now, but it should be the case, because they are increasingly solving philosophical and poetical riddles. If you're designing you know, a self-driving car, So the self-driving car will need to make ethical decisions. Like suddenly a kid jumps in front of the car and the only way to to prevent running over the kid is to swerve to the side and be hit by a truck and your own owner who is asleep in the back seat might, might be killed. You need to tell the algorithm what to do in this situation. So you need to actually solve the philosophical question, who to kill. Okay, now that is not some new futuristic thought. This is actually a really old philosophical problem. It is a parallel to something called the trolley problem. You're meant to consider whether or not you should pull a switch that will divert the trolley away from killing five people and only killing one person. It is an argument about the value of human life, the value of human action, and the utility surrounding the decision on whether or not you pull that lever, whether your action 
will kill the one person to save five people and whether you are morally obligated to then pull that switch and make the decision that that one person on the track should die to save the other five. And once again, we have the assumption that the world is definitely headed in this direction. So to solve the problem, what we need to do is actually get all of these brainiac coders to understand the philosophical and ethical concerns that they're dealing with and then solve the problem. Except that problem doesn't have a solution. And since most people would agree that these sorts of people are not able to discern a solution and figure out the right answer according to the value of human life, for instance, then the solution gets determined on more low order considerations like efficiency, for instance, or the likelihood of avoiding lawsuits. And then we are right back to the place where we have to trust the technocrat gods to figure out what is right for society. The same people who right now are trying to tell parents that they must get their children vaccinated to protect them from a disease that can't kill them. And eventually they will coerce that decision by telling parents that their children cannot go to school, for instance, or cannot participate in activities with their friend group, their peer group, for instance. The same people who are blocking hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin and other therapeutics while sending COVID patients to the hospital to be put on remdesivir and then a ventilator and almost definitely die. The same people are going to make all of these decisions, but don't worry about it because we have Yuval Noah Harari warning everyone about something that is already happening and telling us that the solution is to empower a government that already colludes with these very same people against the interests of the population. Okay, changing subjects without a segue. I did not think that was going to take so long. I hope it was worth it for you. And before I go, I want to just talk about uh, Succession on HBO for a little bit. If you haven't watched last night's episode... Go ahead and pause this or don't. It's really up to you. I'm just giving you the opportunity to hear me say, hey, spoiler alert. All right. I don't think I'm going to ruin anything about last night's episode, but on the off chance that I might, you've been warned. Okay. So I want to mention two things that I found particularly interesting about the episode last night. Uh, One was this moment where Kendall who's the son in the Roy family, who's trying to take over the company in kind of a hostile takeover by exposing improprieties in his father's company over many decades. About halfway through the episode, he gets out of a limousine and begins walking up a thin red carpet up these stairs into what looks like a museum. I'm not going to go back and figure out which museum it is, but it's some art event or something. It's irrelevant to the conversation. But Kendall is 
imagining himself a hero of women for exposing uh, the mistreatment of women by his father's company. And after getting drunk in the limousine, he is walking up with his beautiful girlfriend and he throws his arms up in the air and yells to the press, fuck the patriarchy. And the funny thing about it is the total lack of sincerity with which he presents that statement. It is the equivalent of AOC wearing a dress to a similar event that says tax the rich. While her ticket to that event cost $35,000 and everyone around her is rich and all the servants are wearing masks, but none of the rich people are. It is the sort of tone deafness that you can only possess if you are one of the most privileged communists in the entire world. No decision you ever make could ever result in you losing your social status. That's where you are mentally if you're doing that sort of thing. And watching it, I wonder if the writer is aware of how insincere that phrase always is. I don't think I've ever heard someone say, fuck the patriarchy in a sincere and intelligent way. And of course, Kendall did not. There was another really interesting moment in the episode where they're kind of devising what their public response is going to be. This is on the uh, the Logan Roy side, the father's side of things. And he has the other siblings with him. And of course, the people who help run his company. And they're basically deciding what it is the public actually wants to know from them because the public submitted questions, the questions they have, the questions they want answers to, and they go through all of them and they're like, nah, these are all bad questions. And the guy kind of running the meeting is like, okay, well, we also have this list of questions that we think the public really wants to know. He says, these we feel are the people's real questions. And it reminded me immediately of the sort of thing Jen Psaki does every time she's in a press conference and gets a question she doesn't like. She either recontextualizes it or she pretends that the country actually doesn't care about that question at all. All her friends on Twitter really want to know, like, oh, how am I going to know my kid is safe at school until he gets vaccinated? Well, hey. That's actually not what most of the country wants to know. Most of the country wants to know why you close schools when there's no proof anywhere in the world that kids are at risk from COVID. That's what the country wants to know. And so it's just, it's funny for me watching it. I'm really trying to figure out whether this writer is really in tune with how ridiculous the global communist community and the Hollywood community as part of that really is or whether he's completely oblivious to this and is just sincerely presenting this obvious insincerity. And before I go, I just want to thank everyone who has sent birthday wishes my way today. Thank you all very much. Thank you for your support of my podcast. Thank you for engaging in the telegram chat and if you want to support the show all i ever ask anyone to do is 
to share the show with their friends and people who are in the process of waking up because ultimately the show is aimed at redeemable communists. I've said it before, just saying it again. That really is the target demographic, right? Because people are waking up more and more quickly. And what we are going to need is a way to fold those people back into reality and make them understand that what they are experiencing is true and real and that the their own government and the most powerful corporations in the world and the most powerful people and forces in the world really are combined in direct opposition to the good of the people. That is a very, very hard idea to wrestle with when it first dawns on you. And these are the people we will need to restore this country and our society to its rightful place. So obviously sharing the show is the most important thing for me that you can do to support what I am doing. Uh, buy a t-shirt if you want. Subscribe on Substack or Anchor or whatever. Anchor's probably a little better. I'm figuring out a way that I can create like a virtual tip jar for crypto. If people prefer that, a few people have told me I should do that. So I will do that. And then otherwise, if you really want to do something that will crack me up, post the graphic I made that says, sorry, Hollywood, Chris Paul was right. I'll post it again today, but put that in the face of people in Hollywood Make that shit go viral, and I will basically just giggle from now until my next birthday. I will be back tomorrow at the same reasonable time on the same reasonable podcast network. I don't have a network. Masks and lockdowns don't work. They lied to you about a pandemic, and Joe Biden will never be president. Goodbye! Whether you're a total newbie to podcasting, or even if you've had a show before like me, you know how intimidating it can be to start your show. The tech side especially can be daunting. That's why I'm so grateful Anchor exists. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. They knock down all the barriers to entry. Let me explain. First off, it's free. I don't know how or why, but I'm happy about it. The platform's great. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. I can't even begin to describe how much easier it was to get my show on all the major platforms this time than it was a few years ago. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. That's right. You build your show, you make money. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place, and the company is committed to the success of its content creators. Go download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Thanks for listening. Follow the podcast on the Telegram Messenger app at t.me slash I'm your moderator. You can join the discussion at t.me slash I'm reasonable. I'm also on Gab and Getter at I'm your moderator. The Substack is I'm your moderator.substack.com and the merch site is cancelcouture.com. You can also go direct to that at shop.spreadshirt.com slash cancel dash couture. I'll see you next time out on the range.
acting as moderator for tonight's broadcast. In my mind, that's the end game. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to follow what I'm reading and thinking throughout the day, you can do that by downloading the Telegram Messenger app and going to t.me slash I'm your moderator. On social media, you can follow me on Truth Social, Getter, and Gab at I'm Your Moderator. I also have channels on Rumble and BitChute. If you'd like to follow the writing, you can find me at I'm Your Moderator.substack.com. The merch site is CancelCouture.com or go direct shop.spreadshirt.com slash cancel dash couture. If you'd like to support the podcast financially, the best place to do that is Kofa. Go to ko-fi.com slash I'm your moderator. And all of these details will appear in the show notes with each episode. I'll see you soon down on the range. It's hell!